The NFL draft is behind us, so no Cowboys talk this week, right? Not so fast, not in Dallas. The Forbes list of the most valuable sports franchises was released this week, and once again, the Dallas Cowboys topped the list. Darren Woodson, who retired as the all-time leading tackler in Cowboys history, tackles this subject and explains why that star in the helmet causes cash registers to ring. But first, did you know that Dallas's momentous institute is the reigning PGA Tour Charity of the Year? Mike McKinley of the Salesmanship Club of Dallas joins us to talk about making a huge impact for North Texas kids through the AT&T Byron Nelson underway now. And finally, Nui Scruggs of NBC DFW joins us to tell us what he's been downloading lately and how his five-year plan to get back to Los Angeles has kept him in Big D for more than two decades. So let's drop the needle and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop Podcast. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by my co-host, Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with our next level intern, Marcus Carr. Monica and Marcus, this is episode 13 of the, of the Mic Drop. I'm not a superstitious person. In fact, we know there are many people who do suffer from triskaidekaphobia, the fear of the number 13. I remember in my Maverick days, we drafted Mike Isolino in 1991, I believe, somewhere in there. And he was five foot 10. And his first year, he asked for number 55. And I asked him why. And he said, because I wanted a big man number since I'm a little guy. He was only five foot 10. Well, in the next year, when he came back, he asked for a uniform change to number 13. And he said the reason was to prove to the world there was nothing lucky about a five foot 10 guy thriving in the NBA, which he did for a few years and, and overseas after that. So it got us thinking here at the mic drop about superstitions. And, and of course, a lot of players have worn number number 13, Steve Nash. I mean, there's, there's Jalen Brunson right now with the Mavericks. Uh, so it's not uncommon, but it's still interesting to me why a player would choose that. So Monica, do you have any superstitions? I mean, if you're going to do a big pitch for the sports commission, you got a big meeting coming up with a prospective event coming to Dallas. Do you have a superstition? I mean, you wear lucky shoes or lucky socks or anything? Well, suddenly I used to uh, have a suit that I wore to in any interview of a, of a job that I was uh, applying for, interviewing for. Uh, the problem is I never got the job. So I went ahead and um, put that uh, suit in the back of the closet. I, I, it may still be there somewhere. I don't know. I need to clean the closet. But I think it's interesting, uh, the superstition side of things. Uh, I think uh, Molly McCage, Athletes Unlimited, we were talking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and you see a lot of things come up in, in player bios. Uh, I'm not so superstitious myself, but every time I get in the elevator, I do do a double check to see if there is a, a floor 13 that we might be going to. <laughs> speaking, Marcus, of peanut butter and, speaking of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Monica, uh, Russell Westbrook broke the NBA triple-double uh, record yes, last night. And his superstition is he eats two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before every game, dating back to high school. And he parks in the same parking spot every day. So that, that is, uh, that is interesting going forward, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, 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 uh, Jason Terry had a good one too, right? Marcus and his, uh, his pro days, including his time with the world champion Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. So he used to wear the opponent's shorts every night uh, before going to bed, which is, you know, he must have the most expensive pajamas in, you know, person history. Yeah. That's a lot of shorts to, uh, to collect, to, uh, to have as to, to fulfill that superstition. Well, nothing superstitious about 73,126 people showing up at AT&T stadium uh, the other night for the, for the uh, Canelo Alvarez, Billy Joe Saunders fight, all time record uh, for an indoor boxing event, surpassing Leon Spinks, Muhammad Ali number two, which drew 63,000 plus at the Superdome in New Orleans. Monica, what about that event? It was the biggest gathering since the pandemic started in the country. It seems like we're emerging from the, the, the pandemic in a fairly, on a fairly steady uh, pace now. Well, talk a little bit about the impact of that of that big, huge event uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth. 
Well, I think it definitely got uh, received uh, international attention. And, uh, you know, uh, it's nice to see coming out of a pandemic that we're back to our Big D style of uh, breaking records, attendance records, and, you know, uh, the AT&T Stadium and, and the Jones family always uh, trying to uh, raise that bar a little bit. But I think it shows that people are comfortable and, and ready to uh, attend events. And uh, I, I've got a lot of feedback uh, yesterday from various people uh, a lot of international um, clients of ours that are looking to bring events here. So uh, they definitely have their eyes and ears open and uh, excited to see that, okay, let's let's get back to sports uh, um, in, in the Dallas area. So uh, good for us, for sure. You know, speaking of the Jones family and AT&T Stadium setting the bar higher, we have, we have WrestleMania coming back to AT&T Stadium. Uh, they broke the all-time indoor attendance record for what was it over 101,000 people I think attended WrestleMania a few years ago what's the latest I know the sports commission was involved in in bringing WrestleMania back Uh, what's the latest there well we started our uh, local organizing committee meetings in in June so uh, I know they did some you know back-to-back double WrestleManias this past year in Tampa so uh, we'll be evaluating what that schedule looks like um, I think should have some announcements coming here maybe in the next uh, two to three weeks as well uh, for, for other events. And, <clears throat> you know, they have a great community uh, CSR program as well. So looking to really get involved in the community with boys and girls clubs and Special Olympics and veteran programs. So uh, we'll st- start that outreach uh, here shortly as well. But guarantee uh, we did set that record back in t- 2016. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to be shooting for uh, another record in uh, 2022. Yeah, and we, we like talking about the sports business elements here on the mic drop. And and uh, WWE is an incredible brand, the way they, they've built uh, the brand over many, many years. And, and they just know how to build the heat and get a crowd going. And, and immense, incredible loyalty among uh, what they call WWE Universe, their fans. It's a fascinating company tons of fun i'm personally an aj styles fan on the men's side charlotte on the women's side i'm gearing up and i and i can't wait and i know rachel scoggins is going to be there when wrestlemania comes back to at&t stadium and let's go to rachel right now with a word from one of our sponsors Powerhands is a global athletic training and rehabilitation product tech company that enhances human performance through the designs, innovative technology. If you are a coach, athlete, fitness enthusiast, Powerhands is for you. Who doesn't want to improve their overall performance and recovery? Even better, Powerhands is Dallas-based and a portion of every product purchased. Helps provide athletic and academic programs to youth and underserved communities. Go to powerhands.com and improve your athletic performance today. Thanks, Rachel. Pleased to be joined now by Mike McKinley of the Salesmanship Club of Dallas. He's been a member since 1992. Also a founding partner in the law firm of Shackelford, Bowen, McKinley, and Norton, which, if I'm not mistaken, is also home to the baseball historian and all-around good guy, Talmadge Boston. Uh, Mike, nice to nice to have you with us. People may not realize the the Salesmanship Club of Dallas really runs the Byron Nelson, the AT&T Byron Nelson underway as we as we speak. Uh, you know, and the charity around the PGA Tour, every event delivers money for, for worthy causes in the local communities, but almost nobody does it like you do with the Salesmanship Club. $167 million has been raised for the Momentous Institute since 1968, making it the largest charitable fundraiser on the PGA Tour. Welcome to the mic drop, Mike, and and talk to us about uh, the, the Salesmanship Club and and how running the Byron Nelson creates so much good in our community. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for having me today. And uh, knowing Talmadge, he'll appreciate the shout out. So thanks for that too. Um, the, um, the, the tournament for 53 years has been the primary fundraiser for the programs of the Momentous Institute. The Salesmanship Club's charitable undertakings and educational undertakings are operated by the Momentous Institute. Um, And the programs meet at the intersection of mental health and education. Um, Annually, we'll serve more than 5,000 kids and families in North Texas uh, to try to meet their mental health and education needs. Um, Our programs also include a wonderful scholarship program for those who move on to, to college and 
over 85% of the students who graduate our fifth grade, then they go to a different school and they go to a high school after that, but over 85% of those kids end up going to college um, or some advanced education beyond high school. And we're so proud of that. Um, and it's uh, all due to the wonderful businesses in the North Texas area and the, and the fans that come out every year to support the tournament. Uh, we, we absolutely couldn't do it uh, without the business support in the community and the thousands uh, who come out to enjoy a week of, of sunshine and we're going to focus on sunshine <laughs> and, uh, and golf. Let's a little bit about the salesmanship club. I, I know it's a, it's a, it's an iconic institution in Dallas, but for, for our listeners, let them know what the salesmanship club is all about and, and how you got into the business of golf. So the salesmanship club was founded in 1920. Um, so we're 101 years old. And it was founded by a group of business uh, businessmen who wanted to serve our community, um, as Woodall Rogers, our first president, said, to serve our community without being stuffy about it. Um, and we've always tried to honor that. We've tried to make sure that we find ways that we can fill a need in the community. And for many years, we, we've done it in numerous ways. You know, a lot of people may remember back in the, uh, the old days, we used to, we used to host a, a game at the Cotton Bowl every year, the, the first preseason game between the Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. Um, and and we, we used um, uh, boxing. Golden Gloves Boxing was a fundraiser that we had for many years. And uh, we started in the golf, uh, we started hosting golf tournaments in the late 60s. Um, one of our members knew Byron and went to Byron and talked to him about the programs that we had in existence. And in those days, it was a camp uh, for kids that, that had issues, behavioral problems, and uh, it was a wilderness camp. And, and that camp over the years moved. It was, once upon a time, it was near Bachman Lake, and ultimately it moved to East Texas. Um, and Byron basically fell in love with the charity, fell in love with the way we help kids and agreed to lend his name to the golf tournament. And we've never looked back. Um, it started out as the Byron Nelson classic and through the years, as we've, as we've grown the tournament and title sponsors joined us, you know, we, we changed the name a little bit, but Byron's name has always been in the name of the tournament. So, Mike, I've had a chance to tour the Momentous Institute, the school. Uh, very, very impactful there uh, to see the, the photos of those kids who uh, y'all have helped throughout the years that got those college scholarships and attended. Uh, very, very uh, impactful. Uh, so thank you for that. But can you uh, kind of explain uh, or, or give us some idea of how the school supports the Southern sector and why it's so important, uh, you know, even though the Byron Nelson has moved up north a little bit uh, from Dallas, you, you still keep this impact for a momentous institute in, in Dallas and in that Southern sector. Yes, uh, and thank you. That's a great question. So our campus is in, in Oak Cliff. Um, the club offices are in Oak Cliff and our school is there. In fact, our school was actually built. Uh, part of the school is contained in the old Oak Cliff YMCA building. Um, and the city of Dallas, when we were building the school, um, abandoned part of 10th Street and allowed us to build across 10th Street so we could complete our school building. And then on the other side is a, is a church. Once upon a time, it was a church and we actually use the sanctuary, uh, the old sanctuary building at the church is our, is our meeting room. Uh, all of our offices are there. And the, the programs in the school are geared um, to address the needs of the community. A lot of, a lot of people would tell you it's a laboratory school. Uh, we do things there like study the way kids learn. Um, and we, we support their education and their learning with social emotional learning um, uh, methods that our counselors have developed over the years. Uh, for many years, I think we led the way uh, in education for social emotional learning. Um, and there are now programs around the country that have emulated what we've done at Momentus. 
Um, and you, you have to live in that community in order to attend the school. And you have to be below the poverty line. Um, we, we do have some parents who will pay on a, on a scale. It's not very much, but they pay whatever they can. But most of our students don't pay anything. We provide all the funding for their schooling. And, and this has gone on now since the late 80s. Um, and we started out, uh, our school went to, I believe, the seventh grade, and we are eighth grade. And as we began to, to figure out how kids learn and, and how, how to best address their needs, we learned that the earlier we're able to have these children in our program, and many of them, when they reach us, don't speak English, um, the sooner we can have an impact on their learning. So we, we, backed, we backed it up three years and we went from a school that went from kindergarten to the eighth grade to a school that now goes from three years old to the fifth grade. And our teachers are constantly learning new techniques and they're working to develop uh, innovations in education. Um, we have a conference each year called the Changing the Odds Conference uh, that educators from around the world attend. And they take the knowledge that, that we've gained in serving our community and kids that are, that are in need and kids that are at risk. Uh, and they're able to apply those uh, techniques and those technologies to, to kids around the world. So what we're doing not only impacts Southern Dallas and Dallas as a whole, but it impacts kids and families all over the world. Well, very impactful, and I really do appreciate everything that the Salesmanship Club does uh, for, for our city. Uh, I, I didn't know it was 101 years old already, but uh, that's pretty special as well. So I've got a, a few more questions here, but Mike, first I want to know, how did y'all decide on red pants? You know, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. <laughs> um, I've seen some of the pants that our members wore back in the early 70s, and I can tell you the red pants, I never, I would have never dreamed of red pants. I guess they wanted to make sure that people understood who the marshals were at the tournament, but these things are a lot better than what they used to wear. Um, uh, uh, I know my, when I first got in the club, the only red pants you could find were hundred percent polyester. And on those hot days at the tournament, it felt like you're wearing a trash bag. Uh, but somehow we, Somehow we got identified with the red pants and they stuck. And uh, so every year we, you know, literally suck it up and put them on and <laughs> head to the tournament. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't think that uh, too many uh, uh, people have uh, a set of red pants uh, in the closet just sitting around to put on to, to head over to the Byron. Uh, so, all right, last thoughts on this weekend. Uh, um, what's going to happen uh, at the Byron? Well, as everyone knows by now, we're, we're still dealing in the aftermath of, of the COVID uh, tunnel. Uh, we're, we're, I think we're creeping out of it, but because of that, we're limited on capacity. Um, we're excited uh, that we, we believe we'll have upwards of 12,500, uh, 12, maybe 13,000 uh, on site, um, which will be great. It'll create energy. It'll create excitement. Um, and we're, we're disappointed that more of our fans in North Texas can't come and enjoy the tournament this year. Um, and especially those that are in the eagerly awaiting uh, in the McKinney community. I, I do wanna say how grateful we are uh, to everyone in McKinney, uh, from the business community to the, the folks that live here. They have embraced this. Uh, they've made us feel at home. They've been incredibly welcoming. And we are so happy to be in our new home. Um, and, and, you know, the kids that we serve and the families that we serve, um, they don't recognize county lines or city limits. Uh, there are no maps or boundaries. Um, we, we serve all of North Texas and we're a, a large community here in North Texas. Um, and having this event at this wonderful facility in McKinney uh, broadens our footprint helps us to be um, better citizens and servants to our community. And, and we're just excited to be here. Um, Mayor Fuller of McKinney, uh, McKinney has been 
um, one of the primary reasons that we got here. He, he's been uh, just vigilant to make sure that the city was here to help us. Um, and this is going to mean a lot for the economy and mechanic. Um, the millions of dollars uh, of economic development will result from the tournament being here. So hats off to the mayor for being a visionary. Hats off to David Pillsbury uh, with Club Corp for everything they've done. No one knows how to set up for a PGA Tour event like David Pillsbury, who runs Club Corp. And of course, David Craig and our host committee here in McKinney, um, Brian Lockmiller, the former mayor, who's now the chairman of the Economic Development Commission. Um, we're just excited to, to have something back in sports and it's gonna be so much fun to look out on that golf course on Thursday and see thousands of people walking around watching them, watching golf and enjoying themselves. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us. By the way, we have photographic evidence that our, our intern Marcus Carr does in fact have red pants and I think he actually wears them out from time to time, but he's a lot younger than, uh, than, than we are. But all the best uh, for another successful run, both out at TPC Craig Ranch, but also most importantly in the community. Thanks for all that you do at the Salesmanship Club of Dallas to help the Momentous Institute and kids and families way, way beyond all across North Texas. So thanks again, Mike, for joining us and all the best. Well, thank you so much. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now we're honored to be joined by longtime Cowboys great Darren Woodson, 12 seasons with the Cowboys, retired as the all-time leading tackler. This was a hard-hitting guy. So 12 seasons, all those hits, the, the people on the receiving end of those hits are, are having a hard time getting out of bed right now, I think. Uh, phenomenal career. Also host of the new podcast and YouTube series, The Darren Woodson Show, new episodes twice a week. We're all about promotion here, here Darren. Yeah. Uh, uh, ESPN, we see we see Darren as an analyst on NFL uh, programming on ESPN. We could go on about his charity work, Make-A-Wish Foundation board member, way, way many other things. And by the way, we mentioned ESPN. He's also a partner at ESRP Commercial Real Estate. This is another, the latest in a long line of athletes who are not from Dallas, came to Dallas, had a career here, and stayed and did phenomenal things in the community and in business. So uh, Darren, as I welcome you to the mic drop, I want to point out to, to Monica, there were only two defensive players from those Cowboys Super Bowl teams in that, that 90s era that entered the ring of honor, the Cowboys ring of honor. The other one was friend of the program, Charles Haley, who we had on the show. Hmm. Oh uh, man, how did that go? I'm <laughs> interested to hear how that went. <laughs> Well, actually, Darren, you have a pretty high bar to hit. Uh, Charles was uh, fantastic. So uh, I, I can't say. Maybe it was intentional that we had you on right after Charles. But uh, we'll, 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 so, we'll give on, you a grade. Hold we'll on. give you a grade Darren, afterwards. Charles Haley came to the studio and presented Monica with flowers. Oh, Oh, so there's no way I'm winning this. One. Uh, Monica, yeah, well, I see. The day is still young, Darren. Day, day is still young. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Uh, so, Darren, the Ford's, uh, Forbes evaluation of the Cowboys just came out. Uh, Five point seven billion. Uh, once wow. again, uh, Cowboys at the at the top of the list. Mm. Why do you think the team's financial viability never really seems to waver? Cowboys uh, are, are top of the list every year. Why is that? that? It's Jerry Jones. Uh, you're talking about a market. Look, I, I mean, from from the days of Tex Graham, when when uh, uh, when they started when they created America's team back then, mm -hmm. you know, they've always done a great job of marketing. I think Jerry has absolutely taken it to the next level, and it shows you how brilliant jerry jones is and i used to have this argument on the set at espn with a guy named steven Stephen a and Stephen a would talk about the cowboys and he hated jerry jones and he couldn't understand why jerry jones was a hall of fame owner and all 
And, and he has some valid points, and those points being, you know, Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl since, you know, Stephen A. Since 1995. You know how he is. He's all <laughs> animated. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But, you know, and, and that's been a shortcoming for this football team. But it also speaks to the brilliance of who Jerry Jones is. This organization has not been to the Super Bowl since 1995, but still the most relevant organization in America sports. You know, that's genius to stay in front of it on the marketing side. Yeah, your team is not winning the championships, but yet on the marketing side, everyone knows who you are. And I, to I totally get it because the Jones family understands the game. And this is a long game. This is a marathon game for them. This is not a sprint. And, you know, I hope they get back to a championship. The organization does. But at the same time, there's no denying that they know how to market this organization. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, I think many fans would like to see them get back to a, uh, yeah. a championship yeah. game, too. And I, I think uh, a lot of people don't understand maybe the business side of it. Uh, uh, as well, but we see a lot of ex-cowboys uh, get opportunities in both business and, and in media. You've done both uh, yourself. Um, is that also related to how the world views the cowboys and maybe Dallas uh, in general? Well, yeah, I, I think so. I think there's there's a lot of opportunities here in Dallas, and, and for obvious reasons. Like this is pro business. Uh, you know, Texas is very pro business. One. Uh, helps you out on the tax tax side as a pro athlete. So a lot of guys stay around here. Uh, I think the Jones family does a great job of helping opening opening doors for for those players that are transitioning out. Uh, we've had a lot of great players such as Roger Staubach who's come come back to to help a lot of uh, younger players. And uh, there's some programs that you know Roger came through early on when I was playing in the 90s and you just saw a man go from the sport world to the business world and he totally got it and I absolutely admire that about him Bob Rooney another one so there were a number of former players that were successful in business uh, and, and that was my next step I, I understood you know when I was playing in like my ninth, 10th year that this was going to come to an end and what was the next, where was going to be my next landing? I ended up moving on to ESPN, but at the same time, I was doing a lot of business on the, on the real estate side of things at, at the same time. And now, you know, let's fast forward it 16, 14 years later, uh, I'm in the commercial real estate game and absolutely love what I'm doing. Wow, I'm an, I may have to get some real estate tips from you from you here as well. I just got my license in November, so more on the residential side, but uh, still having fun with it. So, okay, fans want to know, uh, what did you think about the, the Cowboys draft, uh, the, the offseason, and what is your prediction for this upcoming 2021 oh, season? You know, I, I just brought up Roger's name, Roger Staubach, and every time you see Roger, he's the, the, the great optimist. I mean, every year they're going to the Super Bowl. And every year I argue with him, like, Roger, don't take that stance this year. And he's like, oh, we're going to Super Bowl. I'm not as optimistic. But I, I think this is going to be a, a, a team that bounces back. Uh, I thought they, they filled some holes in the, in the draft this year. I'm not expecting those players to, to make a huge impact on this football team. Here, here's the impact that's going to happen this year uh, on what, what, and what I foresee. Offensive line is going to be healthy this year. And we're already seeing Lyle Collins coming back. Tyron's going to be back. You're going to see a, a healthy Dak. Uh, they got some young talent offensively on that offensive line. And we already know where they are skill position. They're very, very good as far as skill positions on the offense. I think they're going to have a, a healthy uh, unit back out there on the football field. Defensively, that's where their holes are. And they tried to fill those holes uh, throughout the draft. Um, and, but that my expectation is, is not that these rookies are going to come in and they're going to blow the chart. I think they get better and better as the season goes on. But this is going to be a team, uh, new defensive coordinator, that's going to keep it extremely simple. They're not going to be running a 3-4, 43, all these exotic uh, defenses. They're going to they're run a 43 defense, keep it simple, stupid, like they did when, uh, you know, back in the day when, when Quinn was at, uh, in Seattle. Uh, run that simple 43 defense and understand exactly where they need to be and play fast. So I, I think they're going to make some, I think they're going to make a huge step forward defensively this year. 
uh, and get some stops and possibly some turnovers this year. Now we had uh, a great draft story, draft day story from Charles Haley. He was in a movie theater when the 49ers were trying to get a hold of him in the pre-cell phone ah. era. Babe Luffenberg had a funny one. You've got a funny draft day story too. You were hitting golf balls. Yeah, actually, I didn't make it to hit golf balls. I, I actually didn't. I was, uh, you know, Kevin, I was, you know, I, the year before my my roommate had gotten drafted by the San Diego Chargers. His name was Floyd, Floyd Fields. And he was a year above, a year over, uh, above me, got drafted in the fourth round, was expected to go late, for, or early second, I'm sorry, about late first, early second. And I sat there with Floyd. It was just Floyd and I in, in our apartment watching the draft and he went from the first round pass by the second round pass by the third round and I was like man this is this is not good and to sit next to a young man and we were both young at the time you know I was 20 21 and he was 22 and we sat there and watched him fall and it was hard man it was it was really hard it was emotional and he finally got drafted by the San Diego Chargers and moved on so the next year Actually, after that draft, he sat there and he said, look, next year you're going to get drafted. We are not going to sit here and go through this. You're not going to sit here. You're going to go do something. So the following year comes up and uh, Floyd is at my house, comes back from San Diego. He's at my house. My mom and my sister, my family, they're all hanging out at my apartment. Uh, Floyd gives me his pager because we didn't have cell phones back then. Uh, So he gives me his pager and he says, go go do something. So I got a couple buddies. We went to have, we had a little lunch and then actually we had like a brunch uh, and then went to, uh, to the golf course. And it would be my, it would have been my first time playing golf golf. And we pull up and I'm about to walk in to the pro shop. Pager goes off. So I grab the, get the pager and I'll look at the phone number. I walk in the pro shop, say, Hey, I got to make a call. They give me the phone bam I call in and and Floyd says hey I got some good news and bad news I said give me the good news he said you just got drafted I said when he said second round I said awesome awesome I said what's the bad news because I didn't even ask the team I said what's the bad news he says the team you hated the most the Dallas Cowboys just drafted (laughs) and I said you were a Steelers fan oh I was a huge Steelers fan uh, growing up I hated the cat like with a passion, hated the Cowboys. <laughs> and I sat there and I said, you got to be kidding me. You're Seriously, who drafted me? He says, dude, that's how he talked. Dude, the Cowboys drafted you. And matter of fact, you need to get here in about 10 minutes because your flight is out in the next couple of hours. And I said, my flight is out. He said, yeah, I already booked your flight. You're gone. And I was like, I'm going to Dallas. Damn. Like, I, I was happy. Then, you know, at the same time, it was a little torn, but, you know, then, you know, it's weird how things change. So it's weird how when a man signs a, a piece of paper and it's a, that, that piece of paper with a big number on it with like some commas, everything changed. Everything changed. I became the biggest, the greatest, I'm the biggest Dallas Cowboy fan ever. And that all it took was uh no, all it took. Signature. Little U.S. currency. <laughs> Took the signature, and I was good. How how has your you know being a competitive athlete and a competitive person at that level? How has that helped you in the commercial real estate game? Yeah, oh, man. With yeah, tell us what you're doing at ESRP. So ESRP, we are a commercial tenant advisory firm. Basically, we are the old Staubach company. When Roger owned his company, they Roger set in the, the in pioneered. The fact of having a tenant rep firm that only that only represents the client for office industrial contact center space. So he pioneered the fact of there are no there are no conflicts. We're not representing the office or the building and the tenant. We're just representing the tenant. So he pioneered that. He ended up selling his business, uh, and some of his leadership ended up forming ESRP. And that's where I end up landing as a partner. Uh, how it's transitioned from what I've learned on the football field. There's so many similarities. And I, and I think one that really has transitioned because I was a captain for 13 years of my, my career. I was, for 11 years of those 13, I was the captain of the defense. And the one thing that never changes, whether it be 
football or business is that you have to have an ear. You have to listen. And you have to have humility in, in, in situations where you, you have different people from different backgrounds, different races, and you have to understand your personnel. And the great ones like the Bill Parcells, the Jimmy Johnsons who I've played with, understood their personnel. And that I'm similar in, in that fashion now as a, as a business owner is, you know, not everyone's treated equally. Not everything is everyone's fair, but if you take the time and to pour into people and take the time to listen to what some of their needs are, then you have some success. And, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, the takeaways are also is extreme, extreme ownership. Take it on the fact that, yes, your employees may do something wrong or they may not meet the needs of what you expect, but that's not their fault. That's on you. As a leader, that's on me. As a partner, it's on myself and the other five partners within our firm to understand that we have not done a good enough job of holding our hands or doing, of teaching uh, the, the employees. So, and it's the same thing in the, in the NFL. If the coaches, you know, if you, wouldn't, if you lose games, it should fall back on the coaches. They're the leaders. Should fall back on ownership. They lead the organization. So, you know, you got to hold yourself to a high standard. You're the only cowboy who played for both Jimmy Johnson and Bill Parcells, only one. So what, what did you learn from them that you used today? Oh man, Jimmy knew how, knew his personnel. He actually, Jimmy knew how to build an organization. He knew how to go out and get the right coaches to handle the right personnel. And if you remember, Jimmy Johnson was at the University of Miami. He was looking, he had a lot of alpha dogs at the University of Miami. They danced, they showboated. It was the same mentality with the Dallas Cowboys. As you can remember in the early 90s, you had the Michael Irvins and the Emmitts, and you had all these great, the, the Charles Haley's, you had all these personalities, and Jimmy knew how to put his thumb and motivate us at the same time and then build a staff around that type of personality, those alpha dog personalities. So he did a great job of doing that. Bill Parcells may be one of the great minds that I've ever been around, not just in sports, just great mind altogether he was a great teacher he could coach every position if it was a punter the punt returner kicker a quarterback safety he could teach every position and he spent time with the players not just on the field but off the field in the locker room and took on that dad persona like he he he'd rail you now things are going bad he'd always say hey it rolls downhill so I was the first one as a captain to get it and then it rolled downhill for me. He didn't use those words, but he said it rolled downhill. So that's how he, how he managed his teams. But he spent a lot of time uh, in, in pouring into the players and, and getting them to understand, you know, the model and the protocol of what he's trying to, to, to get accomplished. When you and I met one time, Darren, and Susie Whaley was there. Yeah. Uh, Tony Fay. we had an, a PGA of America event in Frisco. And, uh, you, Susie, you exchanged business cards, I think, with Susie, one of the great golf coaches, yeah. instructors ever, and re, the current past president of the PGA of America. Mm -hmm. And she invited you to come to Florida for yeah. a lesson. And I ran into her later, and she, I asked her, did that ever happen? And she said you were incredible and how much fun it was and how quickly you picked everything up. And so what, what do you remember about that? And how is, you know, we got the Byron going on right now. We got the PGA of America moving here. What, what kind of shape is your golf game in right now? Oh, man. Look, Susie was gentle and she was nice. She gave me some great pointers. And actually, I did pretty well with Susie. I mean, as long as I was with her, as long as I was handcuffed to her, I was, I was bad, but I was okay. I, I, got, I got better that day. Uh, once the handcuffs came off, my golf game went right back to shambles, man. I, I tell you what, I have so much respect uh, for not only Susie, but just for pro golfers and in general. I mean, it is a, it's a God-given, uh, you know, skill set, man. I mean, you just, you know, just ask Tony Roma. I love Roma. If you go out and play with Tony Roma, he'll, he'll beat everybody. But then you get with these, <laughs> these pros, man, and it's just a different game. It's a different touch. It's a different approach. Um, and there's a reason why they're pro golfers. And there's a reason why I was a, a pro safety and I don't belong 
uh, on that court. Now, look, I like to go out and, and as long as I'm, you know, close to the fairway, um, most of the time it's going to be out in the weeds somewhere. But, you know, I like to play, but I'm just not, you know, I'll never look. I'm not going to be a scratch golfer now. I'm just, I'm just going to call it what it is. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be okay. I'm sure you'll be more than okay. As we let you go, you mentioned, you know, golf is a different game. Well, the NFL is a different game, especially at the safety position. You were known as a, as a player who could, you know, def- cover, the, cover the run game, defend, defend the passing game with equal skill. But the game is different now with the hitting and the rules, which are all, I'm sure you think that some of the changes are good, but what do you think about the game today and how, how would you approach it today? Well, you got to change, man. I mean, and I know like the old heads are always upset and, you know, we're always complaining. The game is not the same. And, you know, we're all the old dinosaurs complaining about every little thing that, you know, the physicality of the game. Yeah, it's not the same, but we also have to understand that everything changes. And in the seventies, were different than the eighties and the eighties was different than the nineties and the game has evolved and and, and the the game has evolved for obvious reasons. A lot of lawsuits, a lot of head injuries, players were veteran players um, and those former players uh, were suffering uh, from the head injuries. So the league had to clean it up and it's just, it it is what it is. And I think we just have to understand that the league had to clean, uh, try to clean the game up as much as possible. Look, it's an offensive game. And, you know, back at, you know, I'll say back here, I go with my dinosaur talk here, but back in my day, uh, we were physical with the receivers. We could hit the quarterback up high, down low, didn't matter. Uh, so the quarterbacks that were playing, you know, pre 2005 or whatnot, were quarterbacks that had to deal with a lot of people around their legs, uh, you know, a lot of people around their, their head, you get hit to the head or whatnot. And they had to deal with a lot, of, a lot of that. Nowadays, you don't have to deal with that. I mean, players can't go up high and they can't go down low. So the quarterback is in, is in more of a safe zone. The wide receivers can't be touched uh, after, you know, three, four yards. You can jam them a little bit, but that's about it, man. It's so, you know, the game is, is definitely off in an offensive football game. Scoring points means more crowds, and the, and, and the NFL gets it. And in the ownership who are in power absolutely get the fact that they want to fill those seats. It's a business. And the way you run a business is the, the offense has to put points on the board for people to view. Well, as we let you go, Charles, thanks for joining us here on the, on the mic drop. Uh, you just called me Charles. You called me Charles Haley. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my... Monica, where are you? I, I got you. Uh, I'll, I'll take yeah. care of that, Darren. No, no, uh, no. <laughs> You know, we gotta get we gotta get Jay in the studio to edit that out. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Darren. Really appreciate it. We'll be watching you on ESPN. We'll be listening to the Darren Woodson show and watching it yeah. on YouTube. Uh, thanks for all you do in the community with Make a Wish and so many other great causes and continued success with with ESRP uh, uh, commercial real estate. Thanks for for uh, you had a couple of good mic drop uh, sound bites in there. We really uh, are grateful for the time you gave us today. So thank no, you. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Thanks, Rachel. And now, what a blast it'll be to have spend some time with Nui Scruggs. Since April of 2000, he's been the big cheese over at uh, NBC5, <laughs> KXAS-TV. Uh, here in Dallas, you see him weeknights at 6 and 10. He's got the big Sunday night show. Emmy award-winning Nui Scruggs, or the Emmy award-winning New Dog, I should say. But, you know, Nui started out, he wasn't always big time. He started out in Florence, slash Myrtle Beach. Folks, that's the number 97 market in the country. Uh, he's come a long way. Austin, Cleveland, LA, Dallas, and we're so glad that you're to, to uh, have you here. Nui, what was, was your plan to come here and stay here for, for, for 21 years? No, no, not at all. And actually, Florence Myrtle Beach was 138 when I started there. So it's oh. grown. You know, it's improved. People have moved down to South Carolina. They want to live in the Grand Strand, but it was not that 
at the time here, but I always joke with people, this is year 21 of my four-year plan to go back to Los Angeles. But I used to live in Austin. And so I remember running into you and Tony uh, when you guys were working for the Mavericks. Just That's right. You know, we always used to say... So, so uh, <laughs> yeah, and our strategy was to be now Austin's a, a big market, but our strategy was always to be nice to the to the reporters in the other markets uh, because you never know when they were going to be in Dallas, and that was kind of that was all on purpose. And sure enough, uh, uh, Blake Olson ended up at Channel Eleven, and we we used to let him come to games when he was in Tyler. And one day we were out at the at DFW welcoming uh, Samaki Walker, I think it was after the draft, and. He, David McDavid was there as a part owner to greet uh, Samaki at the plane. And Blake said, hey, Sully and Tony were nice to me when I was in Tyler. These are good guys. Don't fire them. So, uh, so the, strategy, the strategy worked out. Uh, and what, what have you good read? Old I mean, Blake Olson, man. There, there's a blast from the past, huh? Yes, yes. I, I, I knew Blake when he was in Tyler. And his brother was working at Channel 11. Brian was working with Kurt Menefee and Tim Tim Matthews over at Channel 11 way before they became you know, the CBS affiliate. So, so yeah, yeah, it, uh, I, I remember those days for sure. <laughs> what, so, what, what have you come? Uh, what have you come to love most about about being a Dallasite? I, I grew up a Cowboy fan, so to to be able to go to Texas Stadium and walk down. You know, the ramp and, and going to um, that beautiful stadium meant so much for me as a kid growing up, loving Roger Staubach and Terry, you know, and, and all the great guys who were there. Um, Drew Pearson, you know, the, to have these guys um, not only, you know, love them growing up, but then get to know them and have relationships with them. For the first time, Roger Staubach said, hey, Nui, <laughs> I called my dad. Roger Staubach knows my name. Um, so, so that, that part of it doesn't get old to do something that you loved as a child. Cause my dad was in the military. So wherever we lived, you always got the cowboy. So to be able to do something that you just used to do as a kid and think about, and to be able to be paid to go do that, that has, has never, ever gotten old. So that part for me, I always tell people to, uh, to live out your dreams is really cool to see Drew Pearson as a kid uh, become my co-host for 13 years at channel five and many nights about why he wasn't in the ring of honor for the Cowboys and why he wasn't in the pro football hall of fame. And, and me just say, Drew, you know, it's going to happen one day, man, your dream deferred, not denied. And then to think that this summer get to go to Canton and see Drew Pearson, get in the pro football hall of fame. Now these are moments like this for me. Um, that, that are just incredible. And, and just to know that I have lived a dream and carved out the life that I've lived to see some of these pretty cool moments is it's pretty, it's fun. All right, Nui, this is the portion of the program where Monica and I ask our guests, uh, what are you downloading lately? So tell us, what are you streaming? What are you downloading? Well, I am currently through Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Oh. And that is just a fantastic book. And so the crazy thing about listening to the book is I used to live in Austin. At the same time, he was down in Austin at school at the University of Texas. I always used to go to this place on 6th Street called Catfish Station. The black bar that was down there, so all of us went down to Catfish Station. I do remember the white, white, the white guy waiter who was there. And come to find out in his book, that was Matthew McConaughey. And, and I called my buddy who worked at um, he worked on 6th Street. And I, hey, over at Catfish, he's like, yeah, you didn't know that? I was like, I, I don't remember it. I remember the guy, but I didn't know who the guy was. So that was fun just listening to his book and, and, um, and, and hearing him talk about that. So I'm, I'm a big reader. I've uh, always loved to read. That's one book that I'm, I'm into right now. Uh, Ryan Holiday, Stillness is the Key. I kind of go back and just check that out. Uh, also, was listening to the 33 Strategies of War by Robert Greene. And just, just so I'm constantly just trying to feed my brain of um, new stuff. Uh, one of my favorite books that I'm reading right now is called Why the Best of the Best by Kevin Eastman. 
who was with the Boston Celtics. I got to first know of Kevin when he was the head coach over at UNCW before he went over to replace Kelvin Sampson at, at Washington State. And so he's got these just 25 words over the years that he's learned from people what makes them so good. In other words, he talks about his trust. And, and so you can relate to that with your time with the Mavericks who deal with three J's of trust. He says, trust is earned through time, proof, and consistency. And if you don't have that, you can't have trust. Now, somebody's got to show it to you over time. Uh, somebody's got to show you they're consistently doing it. And then they got to show you the proof. And I'm sure you saw that even in the White House when you're working with people, you're trying to trust people because in an atmosphere like that, trust is really hard to come by. So when he talks about that as, as we know, a word that why the best of the best and how they use it and how you have to use it in your life, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, trust is earned, not deserved, and takes time. I mean, interesting stuff. Two really good recommendations there. I also read uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey and thought it was it was just an awesome uh, read. Monica, what do you have uh, this week? Well, I have the hottest ticket in town is what I downloaded this week, the, the tickets to the Byron Nelson. Uh, I have heard, actually, that these Byron Nelson tickets are harder to come by than, than master's tickets this year uh, because of this limited capacity and everybody excited to see that new course. Um, I'm also going to start Cruel Summer. Uh, I hear it uh, was uh, filmed here in Dallas. Uh, I think it's on uh, Hulu and Freeform. So uh, I've, I've uh, heard good things about that. So I'm going to start that this week. And Nui, if you're looking for Monica out at uh, the, the Byron uh, this week, just go wherever Brooks kept you it. You got and it. She'll be following. Uh, <laughs> she'll be following him. Uh, my my download this week. I'm going fam- I'm family friendly. I'm excited to be there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know it'll be good. I'm going family friendly this week with my download. My daughter Jenny uh, came over on Friday with a great recommendation for the show. Yes, Day, starring Jennifer Garner on Netflix. So I know we've got some listeners in our audience that are in that PG category that, are, that have kids that want to, want, to, want to find something that the whole family can watch together. This was very entertaining. Not going to win any uh, Academy Awards, but I love Jennifer Garner. It was a really good cast, a lot of fun, and the type of hijinks uh, you could expect in a fun family Netflix uh, kind of experience. So with that, uh, thank you for uh, Nui for being with us. Thanks to Darren Woodson. Uh, and also thanks to Mike McKinley from the Salesmanship Club of Dallas. Special thanks to our Mike Drop production team, producer Chris Amelia, of course, my co-host, uh, Monica Paul of the Dallas Sports Commission, our intern, Marcus Carr. Uh, we love everybody at Vocal Studios. Thanks, Jay, for making it sound, sound good. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>